From Miami Law, I'm Annette Ugas, and this is The Explainer. How many of the companies are pulling out of Russia, but were part of the Olympics in China and would be part of the World Cup in Qatar? where there's massive uses of slave labor. Now it's not the same thing as a war, and I definitely don't want to do that. But companies have to sit there and think about where is our line? Okay, are we gonna donate to Black Lives Matter, but we're not gonna say anything about what's going on here? Welcome to season eight of the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. The financial assault on Russia's economy mounts by the day as Western countries and corporations punish the Russian president for his unlawful invasion of Ukraine. Transactional skills and business compliance expert Marcia Weldon examines the fiscal battlefield. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Marcia. Thanks so much for coming back. Thanks for having me. It's always great to be here. Good, good. Um, So the war is extremely active on two fronts, in the sovereign country of Ukraine and on the world stage with sanctions and companies pulling out. On the business side, what's the impact of 30 years of business ties erased like in a few days? The companies that are doing business in Russia are no stranger to the issue of risk, right? Every company should be focusing on enterprise risk management. They have to think about these kinds of things, whether it's destabilization of the currency, if you're doing business in Venezuela, you've seen the nationalization of resources. Um, And when a company chooses to do business in a country where there are oligarchs or dictators, that's one of the risks they take. So to the extent that people are doing hand-wringing, oh my gosh, this is terrible, these companies have to have anticipated these things. They're always looking at what are the geopolitical risks that come into play. If you are a company that's doing business where there's lots of oil, you're always going to be worried about who's going to do what. If you're McDonald's, you always have to be worried about what will Putin or what will happen in China, what will happen in places where the government is always is not always going to be as favorable to you as you would like. So these companies should have been planning, not necessarily for a war, but for something that could be similar to this. You remember when BP had its oil uh, spill uh, years ago and lost billions of dollars in, in, in assets and, and caused tremendous impact to the economy and poor fishermen. Companies around the world, including when I was in the house, were saying, what's our BP, right? And from an enterprise risk management perspective, you always have to think about this. So hopefully companies had some contingency plans. By the way, that's why it's not, I'm not saying it's not difficult, but if they were planning properly, they should be ready for something like this, a contingency plan. Just like you're ready if you have a hacker that shuts down your system and and, and cripples your ability to get access to your data, this is a similar kind of thing. Not to minimize what's going on in Ukraine, but from a business perspective, from a business preparedness perspective, you have to be ready for everything. How much of the rupture is caused by companies complying with the ever-increasing list of banned trade? And how many are t- attempts to just be on the right side of humanitarian history to be saying like, oh, I don't want any part of this? It's, it's an interesting question, right? Because the sanctions, the Biden administration's put out sanctions. There's worldwide sanctions. To the extent that companies that are doing business in Russia always had to think about sanctions, there's always sanctioned people. There's rules under OFAC and under the Treasury and State Department about who you can do business with, not just countries, but people. So 
companies are always running those names on a constant basis to make sure they don't face sanctions themselves. Now you have a different situation where there's different international sanctions that may or may not overlap, um, and you're dealing on a much bigger scale. So some companies have to leave. They don't have a choice. Even if they didn't have to leave, the bigger issue is if you can't get paid, then why would you do business there? So let's say you are there's level one sanctions, we can't do it. Level two, we could be here, but with the collapse of the system, with credit not being available, with people not able to get money out in and out of the country, practically speaking, you're not going to get paid. And then there's the third, which is you know the naming and shaming concept. Uh, Yale professor Jeffrey Sonnenfeld has put out his list a few, a few weeks ago about who's still in Russia. And according to the news reports, CEOs were saying, wait a minute, I want to be on the list of not being there. What do I have to do? And now it's a list of hundreds of people which are updating by the hour. And he went on CNBC and was saying, people are focusing on what happens when companies leave and these poor people can't do their jobs? And he said, our job is to make sure not to worry about that, but we've got to worry about that really having an impact on the Russian economy. To be honest, I think that's a little short-sighted, right? And I think it's very easy for us to say, well, if we make things bad for Putin, things will change. It didn't change in Cuba. It didn't change. It's not going to change in Russia because when you're dealing with a repressive government where people can't easily rise up, it's not going that the assumption that people are going to overthrow the government, that is not going to happen. So I admire the very brave people who, wherever they are, China, Taiwan, Cuba, Russia, that rise up and protest in the streets with the thought that they could, quote, be disappeared. But in the scheme of things, the Russian oligarchs are going to be okay, right? It's the other people who aren't going to be okay. And that's something that actually my students were talking about yesterday in Business and Human Rights. We had the conversation. Yeah, so Pepsi uh, pulled out and they're staying in for things like baby food and humanitarian things, which are great. Um, H&M is going to pay its employees, pulled out, but they're going to pay its employees for a period of time. But what if this goes on for a year or two? Then what happens? And then what, what, what's the role of the business? Um, but then again, look at South Africa. Right in 1986, with apartheid, I was a person sitting in saying that we the university needed to divest from companies that were still doing business in South Africa. This is what I see is going to be happening now, right? So there's the people that are going to say, whether we have to leave or not, we don't want to be affiliated with this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good. Um, okay, speaking of hand-wringing, here's a question that came from our friend Rachel Lean over at American Legal Media. She asks, what are your thoughts on the hand-wringing going on uh, over law firm representation of Russian oligarchs, state entities, and such, she finds an interesting tightrope dynamic between law firms being amoral and simply doing their job by providing legal representation to anyone without prejudice and maintaining their reputation in the face of this global outcry against the invasion, you know, not being on the wrong side of history. Thanks, Rachel. Well, I think it's going to be actually easier for law firms to pull out, first of all, because they're not going to be able to do business with certain sanctioned entities. Uh, and second of all, the issue of all of their peers have been doing it, right? And so to the extent that, and some of it is virtuous, like we have never and will never represent a Russian oligarch. Some of them, you know, so some of them are going to be using it from a PR perspective. And I'm not sure if you saw the uh, article about the Harvard 2L who said he wasn't going to go work for a firm because they hadn't pulled out of Russia. I don't remember which firm it was. Um, and you might find more students saying similar things, although, to be honest, I think it's going to be an academic exercise after a period of time. Uh, the problem that the law firms have is that they have to figure out how they can ethically disentangle themselves without leaving clients in the lurch, um, as well as potentially some, quote, innocent clients. Now, the big firms are not representing 
you know, the owner of the grocery store on the corner in St. Petersburg, Russia, right? <laughs> They're representing major, huge companies. Um, but those companies in Russia are now struggling because not just U.S. firms are pulling out, EU firms are pulling out. And so they will be basically global pariahs and not be able to get legal representation. And that's going to be a problem. Better call Saul. <laughs> Better call Saul. All right. Anything else you want to add in closing? No, I just think this is a really interesting time to look at what companies are doing in general. Um, how many of the companies are pulling out of Russia, but were part of the Olympics in China and would be part of the World Cup in Qatar? where there's massive uses of slave labor. Now it's not the same thing as a war and I definitely don't want to do that. <clears throat> but companies have to sit there and think about where is our line? Okay, are we gonna donate to Black Lives Matter? But we're not gonna say anything about what's going on here. So when there's a war, this is an easy choice for a company. I don't feel like, I'm not thinking, wow, that was so courageous because <clears throat> A, it's a war and B, everybody else is doing it, right? I think though this should cause companies to say, what is our standard? Why did we pull out here? Let's say sanctions were not an issue for them. Why did we pull out here? But why are we still doing business with these people or here? On the other hand, right? And that's companies in general. On the other hand, if you're a law firm, right? And your lawyers, there's a different obligation, right? People need to have good, competent legal counsel. And so how do the law firms share that balance. So this is an interesting time um, as an academic, but also as a, I still practice law, right? And, and, uh, and I, I am very familiar with the export controls. And I was thinking if I was still an in-house lawyer, this would be a very interesting time. And I've been talking to a number of my friends who are in-house lawyers about this and all they're talking about and dealing with is Russia and the Ukraine. And, and, and it's, a, it's a tough time, but it's a time for reflection for companies about what do we stand for? Um, what is the message we're sending to the world? How much profit? Are we willing to forego for doing the right thing? But also, is this the right thing? Not just Russia, but looking everywhere, how we choose to do business, where we choose to insert ourselves in the world stage, how, what is our responsibility? And the last thing that I'll say on this is that uh, just a, uh, two weeks ago, the, um, the EU came out with its draft guidance on uh, human rights due diligence. There's not a company in the EU that's not gonna be thinking about this as it relates to Russia. Um, the United States also has uh, rules that it looks on in due diligence. The United Nations Guiding Principles, which all of these companies that have signed on to say that we, we adhere to all these principles about human rights. Now the rubber reaches the road. Easy in Russia, but what happens when there's something lower than a war? Because now they're saying this is what we're willing to do. And consumers, employees, stakeholders will say, all right, what about the next thing? The shirtwaist factory. Um, well, cool. This has been fun, uh, fun, sad subject. Uh, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me. All right. See you around. See you around. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Explainer. If you enjoy our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Ugas. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's upcoming ninth annual Hankin Lecture on Human Rights. 
This year's speaker is one of the country's leading experts in public and private international law, national security law, and human rights, Yale Law Professor Harold Coe. Coe was one of a group of lawyers who filed suit against Russia on March 7th at the International Court of Justice in The Hague. For more information, visit law.miami.edu forward slash Hankin 22.